Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Club Darwin, producer, entrepreneur, DJ, Pete Tong is with us. Welcome. to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film, the podcast version of which you are listening to, murmurradio.com, social handles at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. You can download the show anytime access, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Oh, TuneIn Radio. I love me some TuneIn Radio. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> I will be on the road this summer teaching a workshop. The workshop is called Day for Night. We're going to be doing one Day for Night workshop in Sao Paulo in June, one Day for Night workshop in Vienna in July. The workshop are Day for Night half, craft classes, film, TV, content creation, and the nighttime portion will be guest talk. So that's why we're calling ourselves Day for Night. It'll be me. Hello, June in Sao Paulo, July in Vienna. Go to modernschoolfilm.com to enroll and for all the details. And if you're there, come say hi. Welcome back to Murmur. Today on the show is Pete Tong. Pete is an ambassador, a musical oral ambassador of sorts. He has really been a pioneer of the DJ space. He has revolutionized what we think of when we think of DJs and what we think of when we think of group oral musical experiences, Pete has redefined that for over 40 years. So really excited to have Pete on the show. Pete does his own shows on BBC One and iHeartRadio. That would be nice for us. Hello, hint, hint. Uh, Pete Tong is on the show. So apropos to Pete, today's topic is the DJ. The DJ has survived. Hasn't he or she? <laughs> it's amazing when you think of the types of art forms that have gone by the wayside, and a lot do go by the wayside, or at least a lot find a level that is more modest than predicted. DJing has survived. The DJ is a survivor. Isn't he or she? <laughs> this craft, this figure, this form, this leader, this musical curator has survived generations. Pete Tong's been doing it for 40 years, but it really dates back to the 20s and 30s when, when records were being spun. Even Walter Winchell, who many claim coined the term, was using that term, 1935 DJ disc jockey. The term is really curious to me because oftentimes the DJ's tools are not discs, disc jockey, and oftentimes the media is not disc-based. It's one of those terms, you know, when I think of film, film is also used as sort of not only the tool, but also the homage to the tool. A lot of disc jockeys do use vinyl. Some purists will only use vinyl. I want to talk to Pete today about how much of a purist he is, but they've long since eclipsed the need to use discs the need to use uh, physical media. <laughs> More so than the term, and I want to talk about the term with Pete, that idea has not only survived, it's expanded, and I believe the best is yet to come for what we consider a DJ. There's so many elements 
to DJing. I can't cover them all in one talk. Today's talk with Pete will take a few specific angles. Pete has done radio DJing, satellite DJing, and club DJing. Those are three episodes in and of themselves. So I want to touch upon each idea today with Pete, hopefully do some more examination of the idea of DJing in subsequent episodes. It's by no means an autopsy because the DJ is not dead. (laughs) Long live the DJ. When we tried to hang the DJ, the DJ did not hang. (laughs) And I think I know why. Yes, it is the classic idea idea of giving music, giving the gift of music to people we love. Music does this very well. I can recommend films. I'm asked to recommend films all the time, but I can't physically hand you a film. I can physically hand you a tape. As of last week, I could, (laughs) but I can also send you a playlist or I can recommend a playlist or I can put together a playlist. I can curate easily. I don't have to be a professional DJ to curate because DJs are a form of curation. I don't find that to be a shortcut. I don't find that to be an insult. We live in a curation nation. We always have, but music curates itself so beautifully. It's such a gateway drug. It's a language. It's a way people get to know each other. It's an uber language. It's it's not rooted in any traditional form of grammar, traditional form of phonics. It's not English-based. It's not Latin-based. It's not Chinese. It's all of the above. So in as much as music is the handle of the suitcase the DJ carries, the DJ toes, DJing is not going anywhere. DJing doesn't apply to a demographic. It doesn't apply to an age. It is simply the idea of saying, hey, I love this. Listen to this. Let me share this with you. It is an artistic olive branch. It is an artistic hallmark card. DJing is not going anywhere. It is getting stronger, and it is fantastic. I wish film had the equivalent of a DJ. You know, film has lovers. Film has programmers. Film has curators. But the immediate impact is different. The meditation of film is so different than the meditation of music, so it's not fair to compare. And music does it really well, because music doesn't require as much of a commitment as a film. If I recommend a song to you, it's more or less three to six minutes of your time time versus three to six hours. Music is the perfect recommendable. DJ is the perfect host mechanism. But people like Pete, people like Tiesto, people like David Guetta, people like Skrillex, Swedish House Mafia, have also taken DJing into another form, another format. The group Conjurer, the group Pied Piper, the aesthetic leader of a group, creating group dispositions. And this is something not unique to music, but the way it does it is. Music is still a casual environment. Music is still an environment with fewer boundaries than any other group artistic endeavor. The laws of gravity in group music, club music, uh, festivals, centering around sounds, not even artists, but sounds, those boundary lines are thin if they exist at all. That makes it a place of refuge. It makes music a place of rebellion. And DJs are the key masters. And I find that magic trick to cater to someone's internal and external needs and external and internal events, that's a pretty sexy trick. So long live the DJ. But there are lifestyle components to the DJ too. And that's what I'm curious about with Pete. Pete's a survivor. And I do imagine it's a trickier place, professional space to survive in than meets the eye. Yes, I'm sure it's Cristal, and I'm sure it's swag, and I'm sure it's private jets, but it's late nights. <laughs> and the late nights get really late after a while, and your body doesn't bounce back. You know that. You need sleep. <laughs> but DJs have a different shelf life because their face is really not their game. Their sound, their skill, their rhythm, their hands, their fingers, their taste. Taste never goes out of style. Yes, taste can change. Public taste can change. And I think the best DJs, the DJs that span years and decades, like Pete has, their tastes are a living thing. They engage. I'm sure Pete listens to as much uh, stuff as he plays. He probably listens to 10 times as much as he plays. He has to. It's part of the homework. The DJ has to do homework. It's a rare profession where you really have to be on top, on top and within. And it's hard because usually artists are within the storm. They don't have to be outside the storm. As a DJ, you have to be in the storm and around the storm to survive. Some DJs flame out. Some DJs die young. Yes, other artists die young as well. But the trigonometry of this is still a musical life trigonometry, which I think is far more uh, chaotic to the soul and to the mind and to the body than other professions. Just saying. There's a lot of up, a lot of down, a lot of yin, a lot of yang. But what I love about DJing, the concept, 
I'm still not as hip to the music as many of you are who are listening, but the concept and the architecture and the day job or the night job of being a DJ still appeals to me because the curator is not going anywhere. The curator is getting stronger. Long live the DJ. Today on Murmur, Pete Tong, DJ. Now this. When the rep, when the rep, when the rep, when the record goes around. So my eager heart begins to pound While the record goes around That same old song keeps on playing Over and over and over I know I guess I should change it But I just can't let you go And so something dirty? Are you doing something your parents don't know about? Are you breaking the rule? Uh, <laughs> open your knees and feel the breeze. Because Gavin's back. Tweaking the nation's nipples. Now it's just you and me and I'm looking right up your skirt. That feels so good. That feels wonderful. Listen to this. This will make you moist. So join me tomorrow when I'll be playing definitive rock and roll here on Radio Rock. Think of me when you come. The news at midday. Doing what I'm doing They give me all kinds of warnings Save me from a ruin When I say that I'm okay Well, they look at me kind of strange Surely you're not happy now you no longer play the game Ah, people say I'm lazy Dreaming my life away Well, they give me all kinds of advice Designed to enlighten me Don't you miss the big time boy, you're no longer on the ball I'm just sitting here making the wheels go round and round And rock the watch them roll
I was living in uh, Florence, Italy, teaching filmmaking, and one weekend I wanted to go to Milan. I'd never been to Milan, so I turned to one of my uh, Italian teaching colleagues and I said, I'd like to go to Milan. And he said what most Italians say when you say you want to go to Milan. He said, why would you want to go to Milan? I wanted to see Da Vinci's The Last Supper. The Last Supper is actually uh, hermetically sealed. There are two glass doors that lead to it, and you're only there 15 minutes, and only 15 people at a time can see The Last Supper. Seeing The Last Supper in that way with other people was important to my appreciation and love and the meditation of it. Today's guest is someone who knows a little bit about meditative and group art. Uh, he's done a fair share of it over 40 years. A DJ, a host, a recording artist, producer, record label owner. Stop me if you've heard this one before, Pete. Um, a promoter, a curator, an engineer, a pioneer. He's also um, a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Please welcome to talk about communal arts, both private and public, the right honorable Pete Tong. Pete, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time. It's a pleasure to be here. And that was uh, quite a unique intro in all my career. I don't think I've ever had one like that. So well, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> you know, the interview is over. We're actually out of time. Um, thanks for all being right, here. Okay, though. Yeah, <laughs> Just as a quick sidebar to the long and winding intro, you know, music and art is taking you around the world. I wonder, has it taken you through Milan? Have you seen The Last Supper? I have, I have actually. I've got a few more reasons to go to Milan because um, they make great espresso and, <laughs> and it's good. You know, they've got some amazing restaurants and yes, they've got The Last Supper. But I, I have been there, yeah. It's uh it's, it's, it's quite a special experience. As opposed to when you go to the Louvre and there's there's a gaggle of tourists huddled around the Mona Lisa and you literally can't see it. You know, here's the Last Supper and you're, yeah. you're in there and no one's talking. I, I, I must say, I really thought of that in preparation for you because you're really an artist of communal art in a sense. Is that too poetic or do you find some attachment there in terms of communicating to people through Art. I guess what you're get, getting at is the psyche of why people um, would go to clubs or any any form of um, you know entertainment where you enjoy it with other people and what and what that does to you. I, I was fascinated actually. We're going to go off topic here a little bit. The, the biggest example of all of, of wanting to go somewhere and enjoy it with other people is is sport. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a, a lifelong football fan, and as much as I consume, you know, a lot of. <laughs> You know, you, you British soccer, world soccer on on screens. I'd still rather be at the match. So um, <laughs> yes. because there'll always be something. You know, it's just which I think there is a dotted line again back to clubbing. I think there's it's it's a kind of um, it's it's more than just standing in a room or in a place with other people. There's a there's a whole um, routine that goes with it that people find pleasing. You know, meeting up with friends. You know, the, you know the preparation. You know, you might go for a meal. You might go to a bar. You know, you get you, it's a, it's a whole yeah. social kind of path on on the way to the end event, which which is the football match or the club. You know, well, it's funny. some people it's... go even further and go out after. <laughs> it's funny because sometimes the, the the taxonomy is the same as football or sports. They'll, they'll call it pre-gaming, you know, meeting beforehand, meeting before the event. Let's look at DJing. What about the term, the word, the, the letters in, in juxtaposition D and J? Jockey. Yeah. Do, well, what, what is yeah. it? Do you think it's, why is it floated along for 70 plus years? Why is this term still working? Do you, have you ever wondered if there's a better way to describe yourself or anyone in this context of, of being a dj i think the question about djing has been a huge debate over the last um 10 years um particularly during the edm explosion yeah. as people started to play music in front of crowds in different ways using different technology but going back to the beginning i think it was a brilliant term and i think that's actually 
simply the reason why it's still so relevant today i mean it just <laughs> yeah it was a great idea it was like you know going back to the 50s on on you know the uh, early days of radio i mean I'm, I'm old enough to just you know i was born just as the pirate stations were kind of prevalent oh, in, wow. in the uk which were basically people playing records um you know recordings by other people or you know turntable to turntable and and chatting in between them um and they used to have to do it from a boat you know moored off the coast of the uk yeah um famously um radio Car caroline there was another station radio luxembourg um but the the initial idea was literally that it was like you know playing music and and, and talking to the audience um not long after that the um the idea of doing it in public um kind of started to take off as well which was you know just st standing there playing other people's records um and getting people dancing you know entertaining them in a in a in a, in a space so the dj would chat to the audience as well no, that doesn't happen so much now yeah but, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this jockey i mean i don't know where the jockey quite came well, from actually, <laughs> is a good point. i think your answer is actually sublime i think it yeah. works it, and and you know yeah. it, it, it's kind of a cool idea a jockey riding this kind of thing you know vacuum or hoover or you know like the actual manufacturer becomes the name kleenex the thing. xerox exactly and kind of you know so, yeah. the brand yeah. becomes the thing itself my daughter funny enough who's massively into music and has had to grow up with it with her dad djing she probably actually doesn't know that dj stands for disc jockey <laughs> um it's just dj so right right just being with pitong another word i tend to hate actually is host i actually hate that word i i, I you know people call me a host but i hate hate host because you do so so much cool terrestrial radio work and satellite radio work bbc one radio iheart radio what do you think when someone calls you a host yeah i get fidgety i start <laughs> you know I start, I start to think of westworld um but the um carrier it's funny uh, you know what you, you know what came into my mind just as you were saying that is i get anxiety when i um because you you know you, i do i have many jobs and i've done many things so, but when I go through through passport control in a country, <laughs> um, or you have to fill out one of those forms about what you do, what you I do? can't write an essay saying <laughs> like I do all these worthy things. But in a funny sort of way, DJing's become you know it's, it's a little bit like you know people take it two ways. Some people hear the word DJ and go, "Oh wow, it's amazing, you're a DJ." Other people go, "You're a DJ." <laughs> it's like so. I DJing in a way has become a little bit like. It's, it's got a little bit of a, it's got a little bit tarnished, you know, so it's got a bit of the host factor about it. So sometimes I kind of grimace when I put down DJ and they, they stand there and look at me going like, you know, 50 something years old, like you still DJ. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, um, yeah. you should put MBE, just put MBE. I should just put MBE now. That's yeah. my damn job. And then in America, they all think I'm a knight. And then, <laughs> and then trying to explain that I'm not, it's like, I'll give up. Yeah, fine, no. I'm a knight. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, okay. Sir, Sir Pete, yeah, yeah. Sir Pete, Sir Tong, Sir yeah, Tongi, exactly. whatever you want to call me. I, I find this with teaching young writers. Young writers don't know when to call themselves a writer. Uh, when do you call yourself a DJ in the sense of, you know, there are all these weird distinguishers between professional and amateur. Uh, when do you call yourself one? Can anyone be one? And I'm not trying to take the piss here. I'm just saying that with, with Pandora's box, with technology, pro tools and softwares, isn't it sad anyone can call themselves that? Would you push back against I think that? Any, I mean, I, I think to qualify as a DJ, um, in my mind, you'd have to be doing it publicly. Mm. So you'd have to kind of have some kind of public audience. interface you know so an audience you know first yeah an audience so you know traditionally that would mean you play in front of people real live people i guess in the, in the modern world it's, you know it's interesting funny enough when it comes to spotify because they they you know you talk about the word host and dj they you know people on spotify are inverted commas curators so yeah. um but i think i think yeah, you've got to have an audience somewhere out there, virtually or you know, preferably physically. And, and not a wedding audience. No, you can be. A, I started as a, you know, I started as a wedding DJ, so I wouldn't. I think you, you know, humble beginnings, weddings and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> Are you still available for bar mitzvahs if I need to a good reference? Yeah, the right price. <laughs> <laughs> we love a good bar mitzvah. <laughs> thinking of someone you've cited as a reference, DJ Froggy. And it was yeah. interesting, DJ Froggy was playing gigs with T-Rex. I mean, He was a sound system guy. Actually. Yeah, th he needed a lorry. He needed a truck. Exactly. When I started DJing, I mean, nobody did DJing for a career, you know, not, not, not publicly in front of people. You, the only DJs that were career DJs when I started were literally, I mean, you're talking about, 
you know, the home counties in the UK around London um, were were wedding DJs. You know, they, they, maybe they and even them usually had a day job. And my challenge when I was leaving school and I was already kind of distracted, not, you know, not really concentrating on my A-levels was how could I turn music into a job? Yeah. <laughs> how could I yeah. how could I turn being involved with music on any level? I, you know, I just wanted to be in music. How could so if I wanted to play records, how could I turn that into a job if I didn't have enough gigs? And the first thing you did back then was it, it was very aspirational and sexy to have a sound system. Froggy was my idol. You know, Froggy had was the was the big sound system guy in my world. And he had this orange sound system, which stood out. And he had this amazing custom-made console. And he did the, provided the sound for all of the, all of the big shows. Like, it was, there was a kind of underground soul and jazz funk scene. And, mm. there were, and there were kind of some leading DJs on it. And Froggy was also a DJ, but he wasn't like the top DJ. But he was the top sound system guy. But what he did do, very smart, he went to New York, you know, in the very early days and witnessed the kind of paradise garage studio 54 he, he actually went to america and saw that djs there were playing two records back to back and actually mixing them together because before that we were all just playing records saying something jamming in another record but we weren't really mixing the records together so froggy got on the um the kind of technology side of it really really early so he was an aspirational figure to me and i bought his old console and I bought wow. some of his orange speakers oh, and I became that's... like Froggy Mark II oh, that's because amazing. Froggy got so busy. Yeah. So he had a lorry. You're absolutely right. Really? So I had a kind of smaller version of what Froggy had and I could run around doing the gigs that Froggy couldn't do. We were friends, but he was almost more like a, a mentor figure to me. And it was through him that I got the introduction initially to Radio 1. So You were the Tony Clifton to his Andy Kaufman. Right. For those of you listening, Google Froggy's system. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. It leads to the more important question, Pete. How do I get a DJ name? So here's the thing. You know the old thing about a porn name is the street you grew up yeah, your on? Dog, yeah, 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 and your first cat. <laughs> Yeah. So, and and you know, how do can I can I? Get, Mine would be Rex, Rex Manor. That's quite a porn <laughs> name, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if I'd stop on the uh, internet channel that had that porn, but um, you know, oh. we could we could trade links yeah. later. Um, it, but you had early names too, right? Because I had such an odd name that nobody's ever believed it's my real name. <laughs> I just kept with it, so it was Pete Pete Tong, and right. I kind of got used to it written down, and it and it looked okay. But no, what? Going back to the froggy analogy, when you had a sound system, you you kind of had to have a name for it. Yeah, it was Kickstart for a minute, but then it was <laughs> OHMS. Oh, that's genius. So it was yeah. the OHMS sound system. So so everyone used to go, well, that's clever, you know, James Bond. And they said, no, 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 no. It's got, oh, hear my sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so it was so bad that obviously that didn't take off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you, my brain went to Bond, but yeah, I, that's that's actually yeah. funny. Um, speaking to, to Pete Tong, I want to talk a little bit more about the radio before we get and end up in the club. You know, it's funny we're talking about communal art. Radio is an interesting one because radio, satellite radio, terrestrial radio is it's it's a rhetorical form. What is the turn on for you in the sense of? playing something creating something that will be sat beamed and listened to thinking right back to being a kid literally i was at boarding school and it was i had, i can't remember that much of it but because it was I, I had a bit of a hard time with it but my friend my um the thing i connected with was literally listening to a transistor radio under my pillow to get me to sleep at night that voice on the radio was a very intimate connection for me and it and it just resonated with me for my whole life so i think still to this day that's what i'm doing i'm talking to someone i mean obviously you know if you get lucky or you get quite good at it you end up talking to you know millions of people but but to me it's always been when you're doing the show it's an it's still a very intimate form of um communication so that's that's been the key appeal to me the other the other thing for me i made a decision very very early on that my the thing I was excited about doing was finding some music that I liked that I thought was good and sharing it with people. And that's still to this day, you know, through my whole career is the, is the singular driving thing. It's like knowing, you know, knowing that you found something great and wanting to show off, not, not show off about it, but share it, share it with people and yeah, then yeah. stick together a bunch of records in, in the context of a couple of hours and actually take people on a, on an entertaining journey and kind of hold their, 
attention. So that's that's kind of what I do. I, I you know I got into a very high level of radio at a very early age, and I got to see, um, you know, the breakfast show DJ and the mid morning DJ and the lunchtime DJ, and I and I was shocked to find out at a very young age that they didn't pick their own records, that they had to follow a playlist, and that they had producers picking the records and i thought that's not for me that's not what i i'm not here to just talk you know I, that's not my thing i want my thing's always been about music so i always i decided i was always going to be a specialist not a populist as it were mm. um those are the two key things and i think they've endured you know that's why radio still to this day has you know has a place having said that where what i'm very fascinated about is how podcasting, interestingly, which never really stuck in the UK, has kind of exploded in the US, and how um, how the audience have actually got into podcasting and fallen in love with podcasting, which yeah. is the equivalent to me of you know Radio Four, Radio Three, Radio you know in in the UK, which is you know talk radio basically. Well, it, it hasn't taken off overseas. I mean, it really hasn't taken off. Well, it- yeah, I mean it has, it has, but nothing like America. I mean, I, yeah, I you know, yeah. I, I wear a few different hats, and I'm I'm a partner. You know, I got I do business with WME IMG, and they do a lot. They're making a lot of podcasts now, and, and you know, a lot of personalities in sport and and news and um, writers. You know, like, you know Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest and a lot of money starting to get invested by the likes of apple in 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 getting exclusive podcasts so that, that's quite interesting it is and it is and i'll send you my direct cell phone when this okay, is done please. and, uh, and <laughs> please, pigeon, yeah, exactly. the best way the carrier pigeon can meet me yeah. uh we're speaking okay. with Tong. The, the one thing just to button hook the radio idea i was wondering as an as an author of sounds into the audience ethos do you ever feel a melancholy about the lack of an immediate response because i think you're right about the intimacy speaking to one person uh, the meditation but i know when i leave my show sometimes i think oh that was fascinating now if it if it falls in the forest and no one hears it does it still seem interesting so does that ever has that ever left you hanging emotionally like the lack of an immediate well it becomes a bit of a well actually on on what i do i mean i was doing radio before but when i got onto the national broadcast platform so you're talking about the era of um you know the fax machine and telex almost and and (laughs) and people people sending in letters still so the um and and we used to open the phones up and my show was always live so if that becomes a bit of a drug because you actually instantly get feedback Mm. all the time. So, and that, that, that interaction with the audience morphed over the years. And it was obviously you were getting hit up on, on um, Twitter, you know, instantly by the audience. So you get, you get constantly interacting. Um, You know, people still phone in, obviously the fax machine is long gone and the letters forget about it. But the, um, <laughs> funny enough, the other, I mean, the only other thing that's, the other thing that's changed is always listening on demand has, has exploded mm. versus listening live, especially for a specialist presenter like myself. So the BBC were quite, um, ahead of the game when they launched the iPlayer. You get a benefit from that, but you don't, you know, it's, it's not about that instant, you know, reaction. I mean, back in the day in the, in the kind of rave days of the early nineties, it was my interactions because I was always the official start to the weekend. I was on at six o'clock on a Friday night and it would all be people calling me in, you know, from the hairdressers, from the bathroom, um, <laughs> from, from the service station on right. the motorway, everyone getting hyped up together. Um, and we, I was kind of lift, I was, I was leading the country like Pied Piper, like to, to, to off to the party kind of thing. Well, it's funny. You were the beginning of the weekend. I was the unofficial closing to the weekend when people would hang oh, out, right, okay. when people would hang out with me, they would know the party was over and over. You know, they, they would sober up really <laughs> all, quickly. All back to yours. But, right. Exactly. It's being with <laughs> yeah, Pete Tong. I want to get into our mini mid beat here with the art of being in a club or club DJs, artists. Um, in the purest sense, yeah, I think so, massively. Um, the, the most basic skill of DJing, the, the, when, when people ask me what the essence of DJing is all about, it is simply putting the one record on and then picking the right record to follow it and, and continuing that process and, and, and interacting with the audience and reading the room and lifting the room and kind of taking them on a journey. So that's the essence of DJing. Whether you're good at mixing that that's more like the technical skills that you're expected to have mm. the, the, the further you rise up it, it's always just been about 
that skill and i think that skill is 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 underrated still and and is a is a massive art and when 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 earlier in the, in our chat i was talking about how the word um dj had become very divisive in the last 10 years and djs have always made records but it wasn't really till the edm era when when djs started becoming pop stars where it became contentious because because a lot of them were bringing computers into the into the DJ booth and they were just sequencing um, having the computer sequence a, a series of their own recordings because you know people got very feisty about that you know you're not DJing anymore you're just pressing buttons so, so it's like are you DJing anymore are you performing <laughs> yeah. so I don't, I, th I think you know you, it's just as relevant if, that you're there and it's just as um, and you're entertaining people in a different way. Um, but no, uh, you know, if you, you, that, that's more like it's a kind of blurring the line between an artist performance using DJ technology to put their music out. You know, mm. that debate, to be honest, to this day still rages on. You know, there were a lot of purists that were up in arms when when we stopped playing vinyl, you know, and, and mm. we started playing <laughs> CDs. And then from CDs, we went to to, you know, WAVs and AIFF files and MP3s off of USB sticks and off of, you know, hard drives. And then some purists still play vinyl <clears throat> and lug around, um, you know, very heavy boxes of records. Um, and some DJs walk in with a miniature little um, SD card or a, or a USB stick and, and use the the cutting edge technology of the, of the moment. But I, but I I don't get too hot up about that. I think every you know each to his own. They're all they're all because they, ultimately all that matters is that whatever comes out of that those speakers is is the right record at the right time, the right music at the right time, and it and you and you and you blend that music together and 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 take people you know on on the journey on the, you know that's your performance. So very much an art form. Well, I was wondering you know what is what is what do people underestimate about it? And because I was thinking in my uber lay person perspective, you know the physical endurance of it and, and other uh, environmental uh, obstacles. What do you think people ordinary people underestimate about it? I think the, you underestimate the um, the skill of just having great taste. <laughs> yeah. So having yeah. you know you know the legends of the game have deep knowledge and great taste. You know some DJs move around genres. Some DJs became very famous just doing one thing and they stuck done it their whole life putting an int entertaining mix together there's more debate recently about debate about the mental health aspects of djing and so it is finally come getting on the table because it was always a very taboo subject you know i've always banged on about that that that's you know no, unfortunately when you're flying around in private jets or you're flying around first class and you're getting you know put in five-star hotels and you're getting your drinks for free you know and, you know and and, and and Instagram shows off this very glamorous lifestyle of being a DJ. Um, you, there's no there's no place for sympathy to say, oh, I'm tired, or it's a pain in the ass. Change, you know, flying to different countries every day and going through security every day and not getting enough sleep. But that is the reality of a very successful DJ, and, and um, you know, tragically played out just a week ago. Yeah, with with with. You know, Tim Bergling of Ichi passing Avicii, away yeah. Yeah. Um, at the age of 28 with with a well-documented history of struggling with exactly that. Yeah, you know, he, he stopped he, touring. Two he, years ago, he stopped. He retired. Yeah, I mean, he, came, he, yeah. he was making music in his bedroom, inspired by his peers, 16, 17 years old, started to get popular at 18. You know, and between 18 and 23, he, he had the most incredible five-year career trajectory of anyone. Everybody at the start of the EDM explosion was already in the game for 10 years, you know, so they had experience. The Swedish House Mafia, Tiesto, uh, David Guetta, they, they they had deep roots in, in the community and on the scene. They'd been something else before the world discovered them as the stars they're known as today. Mm. But, Mar but, but Avicii didn't. You know, Avicii actually listened to the Swedish House Mafia and was in influenced by um, Steve and Seb and Axwell. He wanted to make music like them and he had the talent to do it at a very young age. So he got thrust out onto the circuit and he, he said it. You know, many interviews, and it's in his documentary. Yeah. What do you do when you're 18, 19? You know, you accept all those drinks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he got hooked on it as as kind of covering for the anxiety of all the pressure he was under and, and public performance. And you know, night after night, 300 gigs a year. Um, it was it was too much. Yeah. I don't think the demons. 
demons ever left. You know, as you said in the documentary, he actually prophesied that he would die soon, young. Uh, it, yeah. it actually rocks into, you know, just a couple more thoughts here with Pete Tong on Murmur. It rocks into a little bit, you know, another thing about this idea of, of the experience of being a DJ in a club. I was wondering, how do you decompress? You know, the music is so intense. I know that sounds like a firm grasp of the obvious, but when you leave the gig, how do you calm down? How do you come down? How do you get to sleep at night? I would imagine, like, the, the music, and I'm not a huge fan in terms of the genre of music, but when I listen to it, I'm ready to, to run through a, a brick wall. You know, it's so invigorating. So as the author of it, how do you divorce yourself from that? Can you? Can you divorce yourself from that? Um, one day, maybe I'll write a book on it. Maybe I should, because I, th I think the people that have actually got to my age and, and been doing it for as long as I've, I'm doing it um, probably should share some of their um, what they've discovered and you know because I think we all nobody ever did it before like we've done it and nobody got to the position we got to we, we're, we're kind of trailblazing in that sense so I think everybody has dealt with it differently and I, and I think everybody everybody in the game that got to a certain level of success at, at a certain stage the answer to your question is they didn't stop <laughs> the party continued after the club you know the, the, and then everybody kind of hits the wall at that at some point for some people it might take you know a couple of weeks for some people it might take a few years but everybody at some point wakes up with with you know a hangover or whatever and realizes actually do you know what if i'm going to actually do this professionally and i'm doing it for a living um and i want to survive i better actually start thinking about doing this differently so i think that every you know it's a lot more sensible than it used to be and i think for for, for the super successful people and the super busy people they um you know they don't necessarily you know they don't, they don't drink when they perform they don't you know they don't go out after the show you know that some of them you know it depends how how monetized your situation is but i know people that literally you know fly around the world almost michael jackson like in the sense of you know straight into the massage and the food you know and, and you know they'll have a team that will like cocoon them after they come off stage and get them to the next show um and, and you know a lot, and a, lot, a lot of people will just switch off go to the hotel room and you know either go straight to sleep jump in the shower go straight to sleep or, or watch a film or you know just like completely shut off and you know it's it's more of a job you know we look we look like you know you, you kind of got to look like you're with everybody having a party but as we've got to do it every night you can't have a party it's not a party do you have to divorce yourself from the euphoria i think it's more of a mindset of a, of a stage actor in theater hmm. When you look at an orchestral conductor, we see the sound and the fury, but we know there's math going on. Is that a metaphor? Yeah, yeah, very much. Very. I mean, that's another great analogy. And yes, yeah, for the last three years now, I've been working very closely with with Jules Buckley and the Heritage Orchestra. Amazing and it, it's work. exactly that. Amazing um, work. Yeah. A couple of quick hitters, and then we'll let you go. And huh. you know, I, no matter what your family might think of you, you're a young man. But do you think there's an age at which you know? Do you do you visualize a relationship between age and DJing? Because we do, we do intertwine it into an atmosphere of a generation. And you've survived. You're a survivor, man. Uh, bravo. Because you're also an executive. You're also a label owner. Yeah. You're also all these other things. But in terms of being in the clubs with, quote unquote, the kids, do you have a, a governor? Do you have a shelf life for yourself that you don't want to be doing it at a certain age? I mean, I, th I think we're we, we are trailblazing. We're in uncharted territory. Nobody in our position who's had our lives, who's had our careers, and I and I put myself up, you know, alongside the likes of the Carl Coxes and the Paul Oakenfolds and the Tiestos. You know, we never, no one's ever told us when to stop because no one ever went as far as we did. Mm. So it, the answer to that is I don't know, <laughs> but I think that if you're smart, you you the way I'm doing it is I don't do as many shows as I used to do. Um, I don't necessarily, I know there's certain things that aren't the right fit for me. I still do late night shows, but I'm not going to go and do a residency when I'm, where I've got to play from four to seven in the morning in Ibiza, like I used to do. Um, I do eight shows in the summer and they finish and it's a beach club where it all happens. It all takes off between like 7 PM and midnight. And that's, you know, and it, people go crazy and it's still very busy and it definitely moves the needle, but it's it's appropriate for my 
thing you know it's like that that's a comfortable fit so i think you seek out things that kind of work for you you know playing on festivals is good for me because again they finish they tend to finish at mid midnight um you, you pick your battles you know yeah and yeah. i mean in, in a weird way by accident probably rather than design i, I you know I, I, I say i take you back to the beginning i started djing at a time when it wasn't considered to be a job not not a career so i always had to get other things to do hence mm. stumbling into the record business in the 80s and i had a day job for 18 years you know I, and, and as dj culture really exploded through the rave scene in the late 80s when when people for, for the first time did start djing playing underground electronic music for a living um i had a day job you know i was running a label um and i was so I never burnt out, you know, I never, I never did the amount of shows that some of the others did. I wasn't able to go to America for a month at a time. I wasn't able to do long weekends in Europe. I was always like, I'd nip over to Paris, I'd have to come back. I'd nip over to Ibiza, I'd have to come back. I'd go to New York, you know, maybe I'd do a weekend, I'd come back, and then I'd have to be in the office. So it, it, I never got the burnout. I think I mean, but there are people, you know, who are in my of my era who did do all that and are still going. But again, you know, Carl is a good example. He 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 very much picks his battles. You know, he's, he he disappears down to Australia in the winter. He, he migrates like a bird. He comes back to Europe in the summer. Um, and if you looked online, it would feel like you, there's a lot of Carl Cox noise. But actually, he doesn't do nearly as many shows as he used to do you know 10 years 20 years ago mm. and and he, that's more that, that makes you more valuable as well because you're not overplaying um the market you sound uh, remarkably well adjusted which is unfortunate for me um no, <laughs> i'm teasing it's it's amazing i mean you are a renaissance figure of this idea you know if your daughter wanted to go down that trail of being a dj what advisement would you give her well, funny enough, I've got older kids as well. So two of them are in the business um, and they're both DJing and one of them is making music. So weirdly, they never really asked me. <laughs> because they um, know what, you, they know what they you'd just, say. They just kind of did it. Um, yes. of, the, of the Uber earners globally, you mentioned Tiesto or Skrillex or Swedish House Mafia. Yeah. Why aren't Calvin. there... Right, uh, Steve Aoki. Why aren't there yeah. more women in that list? Is there something about being the Sven Gali of a room that's different on a gender level. Um, actually think, I actually think it's about to change. Um, so yeah, in, in the kind of EDM explosion, there, there weren't any women in, in that group, but actually net right now, um, there are a lot of women breaking through. Um, and I think if we were having this conversation in five years time, it might, it might be different. Um, so from the underground side, there's, Nina Kravitz, there's um, who's, who's who's a big draw all over the world, Russian girl. There's um, Charlotte De Witt in in Belgium, who's playing to like who's got a festive arena show this year to about eighteen thousand people. Alice in Wonderland, different more in the Skrillex lane, just you know headline the Sahara Coachella over both weekends in front of you know ten fifteen thousand people. So it's you know, there's this girl, Amelie Lenz, who's got an amazing, you know, impact on Instagram already. Peggy Goo from Korea. Um, there's a lot of, it's, there's, I think actually girls right now, it's, it's, it's just about to explode. Black Madonna is another one from Chicago and Honey Dijon. I mean, there's, there's lots. Black Madonna was my nickname in high school, actually. Um, All right, there you go. No, She'll well, come after you. Well, uh, <laughs> well, She's a big girl as well. Uh, it's scary. I'm scared, actually. A lot of celebrities have come from the world of DJ or will jump in, you know, behind a booth. Does, does that ever tee you off at all, you know, when a when an actor does a DJ set or, you know, and someone like Idris Elba was a DJ, actually, ironically, but when when, yeah, it, it, when someone of celeb of a different in a different genre become jumps in for a DJ set, does that ever strike you the wrong way? Does that or the the wrong spirit? No, not really. No, I mean you don't take it that seriously. It's you know it's 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 all about their endurance. If they really um, put the time in and they do it over time, then then they'll find out if they're ever any any good at it or not. You know, as you you pointed out, Ed, Idris was DJing before he was acting yeah. and he carried on DJing when he moved to New York, when he was scratching around for trying to get his first part, um, paying for his, you know, digs and his, you know, apartment and his food by DJing in New York before he got the wire. 
So, you know, I, I guess the most celebrated case of what you just mentioned is Paris Hilton. You know, Paris Hilton, you know, started coming to Ibiza and then started DJing and like every, you know, the world was, well, the, you know, the world exploded with rage. <laughs> at how dare be doing this? This is a farce. You know, this is a joke. I and, mean, you know, it's a fierce, fiercely debated thing. You know, she took lessons. She did the time. She goes everywhere. She listens to everything. Um, she's got her own taste. She, she kind of knows what she wants to do and she's turned it into a business and she, you know, lover or hater, you know, um, you can't deny it. There's no question she's DJing and she's holding down a residency in Ibiza and pulling thousands of people every week. And she's been doing it for years. So yeah, I'm afraid you're going to have to call her a DJ, whatever you think, you know, um, because she's definitely doing it. And I think people now respect that's, you know, good, good on her that she, she's, she's put the time in, you know. I said something beautiful that I wanted to present to you as we say goodbye to Pete Tong, who's generously given us his time. Uh, you said the whole mission of my career has been to legitimize all that we do. A, do you feel like you've done that? And, and B, what's left to do for you in this architectural profession? DJing, we always had that chip on our shoulder about people not taking it seriously, you know. So I think that's a little bit like you saying sometimes you, you, you have a bit of a squirm when someone calls you a host, you know. Um, there, there are amazing hosts out there who are really, really good at what they do and they deserve the credit. And I, I don't know, I think they're kind of maybe it's just because I've been doing it so long that you know, DJing right at the beginning was a bit of a naff thing, you know, it was you know, it's wedding DJs or bar mitzvah DJs. <laughs> um, just constantly trying to, um, to add gravitas to this, particularly to the genre. <laughs> we didn't talk too much about the genre of the world. I mean, I'm in the world of electronic music in the broadest sense, which is basically dance music, which in the 70s was disco. And disco got trashed in America. You know, disco was thought of as a dirty word. And I'm still, you know, here I am still trying to point out to people, actually, some of this music's pretty cool. And, you know, in, the, in and while you're all worthy of, um, you know, lauding praise on the punk rock movement or Jimi Hendrix or the Rolling Stones, then um, I, I think that some of our music also deserves to be thought of in that way. And I guess that's kind of my mission. I don't think I'll ever stop um, trying to get that across, either either by introducing people to great music, turning them on to the next big thing, or celebrating our heritage. To, to end where we we began, uh, we were talking about words that fortunately are not have fallen out of fashion. One that seems to be on the brink is the word record, to create a record, to spin a record. And one thing you've done, Pete, for over 40 years is uh, something you love. The fundamental thing to me is that you've played records. Yeah, I, I mean, I still call them, I mean, tracks, I guess. You know, right. Um, I like the word record. I hope it doesn't go away. You know, vinyl's revived. Um, so let's, I, I still like the word record. Well, I when mean, you when you yeah. talk about your, your quest to make a living out of the thing you love, uh, I'm here to report the news to you, Pete. You've done it. Uh, you're inspiring millions, and I want to... I want, that's one of your fans saying, where the hell are you, Pete? You've been on this too long. <laughs> I, I want to thank, I want to thank you, man, for being with us today. I know okay, you're a busy guy. You. Cheers. We'll catch up with you again sometime, hopefully in Ibiza next time. Okay. Thank you. Cheers, Pete. Great, Robert. Thank you. Bye. Well, somebody answered that damn phone. <laughs> I feel like Uncle Leo. Well, somebody answered that phone. <laughs> I don't think I'm getting that invite to Ibiza. Just saying. I want to thank Pete Tong for being here with us today. I want to thank you for being here with us today. I want to thank you for being here with us every week. Murmur Radio, M-U-R-M-U-R radio.com. Twitter, Instagram, at MSF Murmur. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Download us all the darn time. Come on. When you're not at the club, or when you're at the club, it's late. Instead of going home, download Murmur. Why not? Long live the DJ. See ya.